morning, friends. I want to say welcome to Vernonia Church and our online teaching time. I'm so glad that you joined us this morning as we're going to dive into a teaching today where we're going to talk about the power of Jesus and how that power is available in our life. And it's going to be a great day. I just want to explain something real quick. This last week, uh, man, we're coming off the heels of an amazing week of what we call vacation Bible school. A lot of churches out there do vacation Bible schools and, and they do them in different ways ways. And what we do is we'll have kindergarten through sixth grade kids from all over in our community, kids from our church. They will come and they'll be here from morning till afternoon, hearing Bible stories, playing games and doing all kinds of fun stuff. You can notice maybe I have moved my voice a little bit. I mean, I've been preaching and teaching every day, all day long, all week long to hundreds of kids. And here's some cool stuff that happened this last week with Vacation Bible School. Uh, at Vernonia Church. One of the things that happened was this. We had a hundred, over 100 kids every day. And, uh, you know, in our community, it runs about 2,200 people. We have about 200 or so kids in the high school uh, that, that are in kindergarten to sixth grade, and we had over half of the kids in the school system, uh, or at least the amount of half of the kids in the school system here at the church every day. Our highest day was almost 140 kids. How amazing is that? And all day long, uh, those kids are going from, from event to event, from games to classes to a missions class to, uh, to my class where I would share the stories from the Bible together. The theme for the week uh, was was Rocky Railroad, where we were traveling the railroad. We were traveling from place to place and story to story in the Bible, and so that's why I'm wearing my my overalls and my hat, kind of kind of going with the. Uh, <coughs> Going with the, you know, train worker look, you know, uh, uh, the engineer look. Well, man, we had a great week. And, and I want to share with you some, some amazing things. We had 54 uh, volunteers who were here helping this last week. 54 people. Some of them were cooking. Some of them were setting up. Some of them were organizing and leading games. Some of them were going around with their group of kids, their age group. Some of them uh, were, they, well, they, ever, they were just serving in all kinds of ways. And I love watching people serve, especially when it comes to serving for the mission of Jesus, to share the love of Jesus with the kids and the families in our community. And this, this last week, usually we have a missions uh, side to the Vacation Bible School. We'll choose a missionary. We'll choose a, some sort of work that we want to support throughout the week. And this year, we had a young man who actually grew up in Vernonia, grew up in our church. He used to help me tell stories during story time. And now he's working as, a, as an assistant manager with a camp down in, in southern Oregon. <coughs> and, uh, and, and that camp just took on another little camp to help them kind of get rejuvenated, restarted. And this young man went to that camp. It's called Little River Christian Camp down in Southwest Oregon. And, uh, and he came as the missionary on, on campus for the week. He taught the kids about camp and, and about what happens at the camp. And he taught the kids camp songs. He shared about Christ. I mean, he did all kinds of good stuff. And throughout the week, uh, 
the goal was to raise about $1,000 so they could paint and they could do some work on the cafeteria at that camp. But what they ended up raising was amazing. They ended up raising $2,472.24, or sorry, $77.24. Wow, what an amazing thing. God was at work this last week and doing some up. Awesome stuff. Uh, he he did some awesome stuff. I watched some new people in the church say, "Wow, look at what we're doing. We're we're helping kids." I watched some people in the church get excited about serving and ministry, and and I just watched as as young people had seeds of faith in Jesus planted in their hearts. I mean, so many awesome things were happening, and we do this week not just so we can have fun, uh, and not so that we can have something to do, not because it's just what you do. No, we do this week because we're hoping to plant seeds of faith. We're hoping that out of those kids will come uh, missionaries and preachers and teachers and people who will, uh, who will have <coughs> strong faith. We're hoping that some of the young boys will grow up to be young men of God and raise godly families. And we're hoping that some of the young ladies will, will grow up to be women of God and raise uh, godly children and, and have godly families. And man, we're just hoping that by what we're doing, maybe some of those kids went home, share with their parents, and their parents will come, and uh, we will be able to help a family come to know Christ. I mean, that's what it's all about. And so it's just been a great week of VBS, and and I don't want to finish. I, I want to go ahead and take a break from our, our series where we're talking about fools and folly and wisdom, and, uh, and I want to just have a message to sort of wrap up everything that we've been doing with VBS together. Uh, I just felt like I already have the other message written. I already have it prepared. I'll preach it next week. That'll be our, our lesson for next week. I just didn't feel like it was timed, right? It was the time to do that message. So we're going to do something uh, that we weren't planning today. Well, I want to encourage you to join me in prayer and let's pray before we dive into today's teaching. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God who loves us, that you are this, this, this God who has incredible power and who shares uh, your, your power in such a way that it gives us hope, it gives us strength, it gives us the ability to, to, to represent you and bring glory to you and make your name famous. God, we thank you for Jesus, and we pray that Jesus will be at the center of our hearts and our lives, and we pray that you will help us as we dive into the Bible stories today, that you will, you will uh, reveal to us places where you want your power to be at work in our hearts, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said together, amen. Well, like I said this morning, I want to talk about how Jesus gives us power, uh, how Jesus has offers power and then want to kind of finish it up by talking about how how we can take a hold of the power that Jesus offers and the first place I want to talk about where Jesus offers us power is he offers us power 
to do hard things. You know, this last week, there were some things that were hard things to do. Organizing and planning a whole week of food and a whole week of, 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 of events for hundreds of kids, that, 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 that can be sometimes a hard thing. Uh, waking up every day early, preparing to teach or preach or, 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 or preparing to spend the whole day with a group of kids, uh, that can be a hard thing. Maybe spending time with, with kids who, who are who are hard or have meltdowns or, or kids who are who are struggling or hearing some of the hard stories that can be hard stuff and and I want to say Vernonia Church many of you you kind of persevered and Jesus gave you power to do a hard thing now we're going to come to some stories as we go through all these thoughts there's stories that we talked about in vacation bible school and the first one was the story of Saul Saul was incredibly angry and furious. There were people who who believed in Jesus. There were people who were becoming Christians. And, and because Saul was a Pharisee, because he was a Jewish leader, he felt like anyone that followed Jesus was leaving Judaism behind and they were <coughs> going off to something else. And, and he felt like it was wrong for anyone to become a Christian. So Saul set out to persecute Christians. It was by his authority that Stephen even the first martyr, that uh, w- that public martyr, was killed. It was by his authority, as he held the the clothes of Stephen, as everyone uh, stoned him and killed him. And now Saul had set out for a town called Damascus. He was going to go to Damascus and persecute Christians, put some of them in jail. He was going to maybe torture them. He was going to imprison them. And possibly he was going to kill them. He wanted to put a stop to anyone who was going to believe in Jesus. And so Saul set out for Damascus. But on his way, uh, he had this bright light shining in his eyes. Uh, it wasn't the light of the sun, but the son of God. And uh, and Saul, he, he realizes that, wow, Jesus really was God. Uh, that, that Jesus really is resurrected, like people were saying, because here Jesus is standing right before him. And Jesus says to Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you fighting me? Why are you resisting me? And, and and you're only hurting yourself by doing it. Well, in, in the encounter, Saul falls on his knees. In the encounter, Saul says, Lord, Lord. He declares Jesus is Lord. He declares his belief in Jesus. And he asks an important question. It's an important question we're going to come back to. But he asks him, what do I do? And that's the question we all should be asking. When it comes to who Jesus is, once we realize who he is, we say, what do I do? Jesus, what do I do? Well, in this case, Jesus had something special for Saul that he was going to have him do. And so he says to him, I want you to go to town. I want you to go to Straight Street. I want you to go to this house. And I want you to wait there for what I will tell you to do. So Saul makes his way to Straight Street and he waits and he waits and he waits. And, and he, has a, he has some struggles as he waits. You see, when Jesus appeared to him and he, he, he called him Lord uh, 
before <coughs> Paul left, he was blinded. He had no, he couldn't see a thing. And so he had to have some people lead him to that place, have some people uh, set him down. And he waited there and he prayed and he fasted, which means he didn't eat as he was praying. He was telling God how serious he was about this prayer. And in prayer and fasting, he sat there for three days. He sat there waiting, sat there praying, sat there saying, Jesus, what do you want me to do? Well, we need to leave Saul there for just a moment. And we meet this man named Ananias. Now, there's lots of Ananias uh, and people named that in the Bible. We come across here and there. But th this Ananias, uh, th this one lived in Damascus. And this one uh, was someone who knew about Saul, knew what Saul uh, had come to Damascus to do. He was afraid of Saul and, and the men that were with Saul. And Jesus will come to him and Jesus is going to say to him, listen, Ananias, I want you to go have a conversation with Saul. I want you to tell him about my love for him. I want you to tell him about how I have plans for him. I have big plans for him. Just like, by the way, he has big plans for you. And he said, I want you to tell him about all the things that, uh, that, that I want him to do to say yes to me. You know, uh, I want you to tell him about uh, forgiveness. I want you to tell him about grace. I want you to tell him about, uh, uh, about repentance and baptism. And, and Ananias is kind of uh, in shock here as, as he's talking to Jesus. He, he, he holds his hands out almost like you could picture him saying, please, Jesus, no. Don't, don't make me do that. I, don't make me go talk to Saul. I, I really don't want to. You know, uh, uh, you know what, what Saul's like. You, you know what he's done. You know what he's come here for. Uh, you know how, how he could probably, as I go talk to him, he has the authority, the power, and, and, and all that to get rid of me. You know, he could, he could have me put in chains. He could have me tortured. He could have me killed. I really would prefer not to go talk to Saul. And maybe you found yourself in a place like that where, where maybe, maybe you were looking at someone who came into the church, you know, and, and it's someone that, well, you know their story, you know what they've done, you know what they're like, and, and you just tell yourself, I would rather not say hi, I would rather not greet them, I would rather not say welcome to them, you know, I mean, I mean, yeah, I know what they've done, and I know who they are, and, and I'd rather not, and yet God puts it on your heart to say go and be friendly go and uh, and say hello or or maybe you know what it's like to not want to uh, to do something that Jesus is asking you to do you know God I I'd rather not go where all those kids are and I'd rather not go and and get involved and I'd rather not go and have the burden of having to pay attention uh, or, or get involved and sing some songs and and yet there are many people here in the church church have said, you know what, I'm going to do the hard thing and I'm going to do what Jesus wants me to do regardless of how I feel about it. Well, finally, after Jesus spoke to him and said, listen, I have big plans for Saul. I'm going to use him to do some great things to share Jesus around the world. He's going to be my instrument, you know, and, and, and so Ananias finally said, okay, God, I will do what you want me to do. And maybe you've had to have a moment with Jesus where you said, okay, God, 
You want me to believe? I'll believe. You want me to follow? I'll follow. You want me to serve? I'll serve. You want me to, and you fill in the blank, and you finally said, okay, God, you got me. I'll do what you want to do. And so Ananias comes, and he, he, he has a conversation with Saul. He finds him right there on Straight Street, and he finds him at that house. He's fasting and he's praying. He has a conversation with him, tells him about how he needs to believe in Jesus, how he needs to repent, how he needs to uh, seek Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And, and they're having the conversation about what should I do? And, and he says to him, listen, Saul, you need to be baptized, calling on the name of the Lord, and you will receive the forgiveness of your sins and have your sins washed away and uh, and so Saul says all right let's do this thing and and he gets up and and he's baptized and he's praising God Ananias and the story touches his eyes and something like scales fall off his eyes and all of a sudden Saul can see again and it was just God's way of putting an exclamation mark on on this event letting Saul know that God is in this story that God is doing this thing there was was no question in Saul's heart and Saul's mind by the end of the story that God had been moving. And so Saul begins to praise God. And instead of going around Damascus and imprisoning Christians or, or torturing Christians or putting them in chains or killing them, no, what he does is he surprises everyone by going around town preaching about Jesus, telling people they need to become Christians. And, and helping people know the fame and the glory and the resurrection of Jesus and the and the and the message of the gospel and so Paul or Saul who would later be named Paul becomes this man who preaches instead of a man who persecutes and all because one man named Ananias was willing to do the hard thing well, I don't know what hard thing you have in your life. I don't know what difficult thing that maybe God is asking you to do. Maybe he's asking you to be faithful, and that's a hard thing. Maybe he's asking you to stay, whether it's stay in a job, stay in a, a family, stay in a marriage, stay in a church. Maybe he's asking you to stay, and that's hard for you, but Jesus gives you strength to do hard things. Or maybe he's asking you to leave. Maybe he's asking you to move on to something better, to move, to leave a job, to, to, to leave a, an abusive relationship, to leave a boyfriend or a girlfriend who you know is not good for you. Maybe he's asking you to leave and leaving is hard, but Jesus gives you power to do hard things. And I want to encourage you to, to turn to him and to find that strength to do a hard thing. And often in those hard times and when we're doing those hard things, it can be a time where, where one of the hard parts of it is it can be hard to hope. But here's the other thing, that Jesus gives us the power to hope. You know, there's a story in the Bible in Acts chapter 27. This same guy, Saul, whose name changed to Paul later, he became the apostle Paul, was preaching and teaching all over the world. And 
and he found himself at the other end of the stick, so to speak. He found himself in a place where he was experiencing the persecution that when he was young, he started dishing out. Uh, he found himself being beaten and tortured and sometimes left for dead. And he found himself being shipwrecked. And he found himself in all kinds of hardship because of what he was doing. He had the... He, found that, that, that Jesus gives you power to do hard things. And he was doing these hard things. But there's one story where uh, he had been arrested and he appealed to Caesar because he was a Roman citizen. And, and if you appeal to Caesar, then you get the opportunity to go and stand in a trial before Caesar for whatever crime you're being accused of. And so he appealed to Caesar. Well, he was going to get to Caesar. He had to go to Italy. He had to go to the city of Rome. He had to go stand before Caesar, the most powerful man in the world at the time, but he was far away. And to get him there, they had to put him on a boat as a prisoner and ship him there. Well, when they got on this boat, they were sailing along the coast of China and then they uh, made their way in, uh, across the sea and they were sailing along the coast of islands from island to island to get themselves to Italy. And as they're on their way on this big wooden ship with almost 300 people on it, uh, this, this big wooden ship powered by sails, they found themselves in a place where God comes to Saul, uh, Paul and he says, to Paul, listen, uh, there's going to be a big storm. The ship is going to get wrecked. If you continue on the path you're on, it's not going to go well for anybody. Well, Paul tried to tell the people on the ship. He tried to tell the, the, the ship's leader. He tried to tell the soldiers. He tried to tell everybody he could tell, but no one would listen to Paul because they looked out and they saw a calm sea and they thought everything looks good. Let's get on our way. Well, they set out and while they were out on the seas, uh, a storm whipped. It was a hurricane style storm. I mean, it was whipping up and there were almost 300 people on this boat. Uh, this was a big wooden boat. They wrapped ropes around the boat. They dropped the sails of the boat. They threw the anchor off to the side and they were doing everything they could to try to survive this storm. But it says that they had lost hope. They'd gotten to a place where they just felt completely powerless, like there was nothing they could do. And you get the idea that they have resolved in their hearts that this was it. This was the end. They were going to die and it was all over. Well, God comes to Paul and God says to Paul, listen, I have a plan for you to appear before Caesar. And because of you and because of my fame, I'm going to make sure that everybody on this boat survives what's going to happen. And if they follow you, listen to what you have to say. They're all going to come and they're all going to be in a place where they're safe. And so Paul comes to them and he says, guys, don't lose hope. He says, I got some hope for you. And he tells them them what God had told him. He told, tells them to follow some instructions. They do what he says, and they find themselves in this ship hitting a sandbar. They get off the ship, swim to shore, and all of them survived. And the story is a story that reminds us that Jesus has the power to give us hope where sometimes things can feel hopeless. He, he gives us the hope it gives us the power to hope where sometimes it can feel like there's nothing to hope in or no reason to hope. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you felt 
helpless, where you felt hopeless. Maybe you were in a problem or a circumstance, a situation where you had no power over what was happening around you. You had no power over the the relationship that was going sour because no matter what you said or did, nothing could get better. And, and you had no power over what's happening at work because, you know, your boss has his thoughts and his ideas and things that are going on. And, and maybe your co-workers have their things going on and, and you just sort of feel like like you're along for the ride. Or maybe uh, it's a, you've been in a, a situation where it was like a natural disaster. Something's going on around you that you're just powerless to do anything about it. I know friends that were in Joplin, Missouri a few years ago when there was a, a tornado, an EF5, that ripped through the city, destroyed the city. And, uh, and they will tell you that there was this helpless feeling, uh, not a hopeless feeling because they had hope in Jesus as they went through it, but they had this helpless feeling. There was nothing they could do to change what was happening. And, and the same thing happens uh, in, in all of our lives that at one time or another, we can find ourselves in a helpless place. And spiritually, all of us are in a helpless place. Our, our relationship with God has been broken because of our sin. Our, our, our ability to uh, reconnect with God is, is a helpless ability because we are, are broken people and, and we are people who will find ourselves in a helpless, powerless situation to change uh, anything spiritually about our, our situation. But Jesus has power. Uh, Jesus has power to give us hope. He can give us hope uh, even beyond our situation. Now, I'm not going to tell you that Jesus promises every time there's a shipwreck or a car wreck or something going on that that he's going to make sure all everyone survives i'm not going to tell you that because that's not necessarily what we're talking about here what i will tell you though is that he will give you hope even if that hope is in eternal life and even if that hope is in forgiveness and grace which are which are greater than than surviving a car wreck to be honest with you uh, he gives us hope that uh, that goes beyond anything that this world World can offer. And so Jesus gives us power to hope. He gives us power to do the hard things, and he gives us power to hope, and he also gives us power to be bold. In Acts chapter 3, verse 4, we see Peter and John, and they're preaching, they're teaching. Uh, they've been going around. They were followers of Jesus. They were disciples of Jesus, and Jesus gave them an uh, an amazingly unique ability. Uh, he gave his apostles abilities that, uh, that that were that were sort of his way of putting an exclamation mark on the start of the church, especially in the early church, to tell people that this was something he was doing. And one of the things that he gave them the ability to do was to heal people in Jesus' name. And, and when when they walked up one day, there was this paralytic who was begging for money and for gold. And, and Peter looked at this man and he said to him, look at me. And, and he got his attention and he says to him, hey, silver and gold, I don't have, but here's what I do have. What I do have, I'll give to you. In Jesus' name, pick up your mat and walk. Now, this wasn't some silly televangelist, you know, moment where they had someone already planted in the crowd who was going to pick it up and dance around. No, th this was a guy that everyone knew was paralyzed. He was there 
there every day. Everyone knew his story, knew what was going on. And this man, he, he did it without, without surgery, uh, without, uh, without physical therapy. He just stood up after being paralyzed, began to dance around, began to leap around, began to hop around. And, and man, was he excited. And, and John was excited for him. It was in Jesus' name this man was healed. Well, there were some people who were watching what was going on. They'd been watching uh, Peter and John, and, and they really wanted to make sure Peter and John, uh, you know, got in trouble for what they were doing. These guys were grumpy. They, they were grumpy, and they wanted everyone around them to be grumpy. Uh, these, uh, for some reason, there's just people who are miserable, and they're not happy unless, uh, or, which they're miserable anyway, so they're not happy, but they're not happy, really, until they get everyone else to be just as miserable as them. And and that's when, <laughs> that seems to be their goal. And these are the kind of people you hate to have around your church, you don't want on your school board. These are the kind of people you don't want as a teacher in your school. Uh, but unfortunately, there's a lot of these people around. Well, well these guys, uh, these guys are watching G Peter and John, and, and they were watching them with an eye towards uh, getting them in trouble, because if they did anything on this day, that, that they it was a day where no one was supposed to work, uh, and if they did anything on this day, well, they could stick it to them. Well, they did. Uh, they came and they criticized Peter and John and they attacked them. And, 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 and Peter and John said, listen, guys, uh, you're mad at us because, well, because Jesus healed somebody on a day you're not supposed to do work. Really? Are you going to ever get over yourselves? You know, and, and then he begins to preach to them about Jesus. He says, listen, you guys, uh, you guys were part of the group of people who were shouting crucify. You guys were part of the group of people who 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 paid Judas off to be a betrayer of Jesus. You guys were part of the group of people who who put Jesus on trial. You, you were part of the group of people who crucified him on a cross and, and put him there. But you know what? I mean, you're mad that he healed this guy, but you, even though you killed Jesus, you couldn't even keep him dead because Jesus rose from the dead. And Peter just begins to preach about Jesus and he, he begins to teach about Jesus, but these guys were having none of it. They weren't going to be convinced in their hearts. They were so busy being miserable and wanting other people to be miserable. They weren't going to hear truth. They weren't going to hear the gospel. They weren't going to hear anything because they just wanted to put a stop to what Peter and John were saying. So they, 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 they put him in jail. They threatened him to stop preaching and teaching. And they told him, you need to stop preaching and teaching about this name of Jesus. Well, that, that was just like a, that, that was a cue. That was a, that was a softball being lobbed in the air for Peter. And he said, well, let me tell you about this name of Jesus. It's at the name of Jesus that every, every uh, knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. It's at the name of Jesus that, uh, that, 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 that you're going to be judged. It's at the name of Jesus that you're going to be saved. In fact, he says, 
that, that only by the name of Jesus will anyone be saved. For, for God has only given that name to be the name by which mankind is saved or not saved. And, and, and the name of Jesus is the most powerful, the most influential, the most important name that you can know. And so Peter, he just lays it out and he says, you need to know the name of Jesus. And Peter was incredibly bold. I mean, he was bold and Jesus gives us the power to be bold. And sometimes it takes being bold to share our faith with others. It takes being bold to stand up in front of a group of, of kids, you know, every day. <coughs> Excuse me. I've had this. I've had this. Uh, I've had this thing where my voice has been scratchy because I've been trying to be loud and preach and teach outside and and keep kids' attention. And and every day I had a sixth, fifth, and sixth grade group come and I would share with them. And and every day I would have the uh, the third and fourth grade come and then I would share with them. And then the first and second graders would come and I would share with them. And then the kindergartners would come and, and I would share with them. And, and, and I don't know how you work with young people, but trying to tell the same stories to these different groups and still have it be interesting and, and, and still have it be something that, uh, that's beneficial or helpful to them. Wow. What a challenge. And, and it seemed to me that my day every day got progressively more difficult. You know, the sixth graders, there's a higher level of comprehension, you know, and the fourth graders, they're, they're a little bit more fun because they'll do like a lot of the things and have fun with it and laugh and, and enjoy it. And, and, uh, but then, you know, the, the first and second is, oh man, that, that gets a little tougher. And then the kindergartners was like, oh, <laughs> and sometimes it took boldness to stand there and to teach and preach while you see a kid picking his nose and playing with rocks and, and, uh, and then group leaders sitting there playing on their phones, ignoring what you're saying. And, and it takes a little boldness to, uh, well, to go ahead and preach Jesus anyways, but we do it because Jesus' name should be famous, and we do it because Jesus' name is the most important name there is to tell, and, and Jesus' name is worth sharing and preaching and teaching, and we do it boldly. And sometimes you may have to find yourself being bold. Sometimes you might have to boldly share with a friend the fame of Jesus' name and the gospel of Jesus. Sometimes you might have to boldly uh, uh, proclaim your faith in Christ to a, a friend or a family member or a neighbor. <clears throat> sometimes you need to be bold uh, with your faith. But you know where else we need to be bold? Often we need to be bold first not against someone, not, not bold to stand our ground, not bold to, to confront or resist. Sometimes we need to be bold against ourselves. The Bible will call that self-control. Uh, and sometimes we need to be bold against ourselves. When, when we want to do something we shouldn't do, we need to boldly tell ourselves, Jesus' name is more important than mine, and, and I'm going to do what Jesus wants. And, and sometimes when we don't want to do something he's asking us to do, we need to boldly push ourselves to do that thing, to, to step out in faith and to move forward and to, to do what he's asking us to do or calling us to do. We need to be bold sometimes with ourselves. And, and Jesus gives us the power to be bold. I don't know where it is. He wants you to be bold, whether it's being bold with 
yourself for being bold as you share with others. And by the way, you have a great opportunity to be bold. I, I want to invite you on July 17th, we're having a an in-person big day, summer big day here on, on July 17th. Well, here at church, we're going to have a nine o'clock service, 1130, uh, or sorry, a, a 930. <laughs> oh, let me start over. We're going to have a 930 service and 11 o'clock service. And it's going to be our big day. Our goal is to pack this place out with a summer service. Uh, summer crowd and uh, at at the end of the service on the second service we're going to have a smokehouse barbecue dinner we're gonna have pulled pork and brisket smoked brisket and and it's gonna be a great day and so I want to encourage you invite someone be bold say hey I'd like to invite you to Vernonia Church we're having a summer big day I'd love you to come you know and and be bold and and invite someone to come and be a part of that big day well Jesus gives you the power the strength to be bold so so get out there and be bold. Now, the last thing I want to talk about is Jesus gives us the power uh, to live forever. Uh, you know, the gospel of Jesus is a story that says Jesus gives us the power to live forever. Uh, when we come to the story of the gospel in Matthew chapter 26, 27 and 28, you can read those chapters. Man, I've read them a bunch as a, I've been a Christian for quite a while now. I've read those chapters. I've read those spots where it tells us about the things Jesus did at the cross. But just to read them again. Wow. It captures your heart. It reminds you the heart of God, the love that God God has for us. Uh, what powerful place to just spend some time reading. Maybe you ought to do that this week. Uh, but the story is a story that begins way back when, when God had created you and he created me, when he created mankind, he created us to be in this forever relationship with him. And that forever relationship was severed. It, it was hurt. It was destroyed by the sin of mankind. Uh, that sin broke our relationship. Relationship. That sin separated us from God, and we were powerless to do anything about it. But He has the power to give us hope, and He has the power. And He came and He did something hard so that He could provide us that hope. And, and, and he, he came and He boldly came to face a cross in order to give us help. And, and what God did is he looked down from heaven and he saw the trouble and the struggle and the separation that we had. And he said, I got to do something about this. They're powerless to, but I can do something. And so he stood up off his throne. He entered into human history. In the book of John, it says that God put skin on and became one of us and made his dwelling among us. And his name was Jesus. And, and Jesus came so that he could could well so that he could make this great trade with us you know it says in scripture that jesus had no sin in him uh, as as jesus as you read the story of him being arrested of him being put on trial you see over and over again people declare him to be innocent when he's arrested people are confused because they're arresting an innocent man when he's put on trial and pilot uh, pilate is uh 
is judging him. He gets a warning from his wife who had a dream that that said, man, this is an innocent man and, and don't have anything to do with this trial and it will only result in bad things for you. And Pilate, uh, Pilate's wife declared that Jesus was innocent and, and Pilate himself would declare that Jesus was innocent and he's trying to subdue the crowd that was riled up by those grumpy guys that wanted to shout crucify him. They wanted to crucify Jesus. That day they were going to have crucifixions. There were going to be three people who were crucified and uh, and Jesus was being put on trial to, uh, and Jesus was being uh, propped up as an option for being one of the three. And Pilate, the judge, the the jury, it, he is all, all that wrapped in one. He's saying, listen, I see no reason to crucify this guy, but they wanted him crucified. He even tried to offer up uh, another man who was a murderer and say, hey, you know, those two thieves are going to be crucified. How about we crucify this murderer instead of Jesus? No, they said, release the murderer. We want to crucify Jesus. Oh, man. So Pilate acted like he was going to wash his hands. Uh, he he passed the buck on. He gave Jesus over to them. Uh, they were taken. Uh, they took him. Uh, they put a crown of thorns on his head and beat it into him with a stick. They, they spit at him, called him king of the Jews. They mocked him. They put him on a cross and they crucified him. Now we talk about the cross. We talk about the crucifixion around church and we don't always think about what actually happens in a crucifixion because we're not familiar with it. We think of a cross as something that, that uh, some people have tattooed on their body or a cross as something that some people wear as a chain and, and, uh, and we don't really think about how that was a torture, a suffering a device that was a, a killing machine uh, in its day. You see, the Romans had perfected this way of torturing someone and killing someone uh, and, and doing it publicly. They used this as a form of intimidation. Whenever there was possible uprisings, they would crucify some people and let them know, hey, this will happen to you if you continue to be a part of it. Uh, uh, there were times in history where they lined streets with people who were crucified. The worst of criminals were crucified. I mean, this was a way, this was a deterrent, uh, you know, uh, really to get your attention, uh, deterrent for doing things that crossed Rome. Well, they took Jesus and they crucified him. And when a person is crucified, if they put spikes through the wrists of the person into the beams, the cross beams of that cross. If you were to put your thumb on your wrist and kind of move your wrist back, you could feel there's a couple tendons in there. There's some tendons in there that, that, that go up the middle of your wrist. They put that spike in between those and pound it with a hammer into one side. And then they do the same on the other side and then they'd take a spike and they'd put it through your your ankles into the wood below you and the reason that it was a torturous uh, death that caused a lot of suffering is this uh, many think that what happened when someone was crucified is it would kill the nerves in your upper body and it would make it so that you could inhale but you could not exhale and uh, and the only way that you could exhale exhale is if you could pull your 
yourself up to 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 breathe out so that you could rebreathe in the next breath. But the problem was your nerves in your upper body were killed, so you couldn't really do much in terms of pulling uh, yourself up, and so you had to push with your legs and feet against that spike that was in your ankles in order to take the next breath. By the way, that's why I think it's so important that we have recorded for us the, the last seven statements of Jesus while he was on the cross. When we think about how much effort it took for him to push and to take the next breath and to say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Well, we see the heart of God at the cross. And what we see is that there on that cross was a man who was declared innocent, was a man who it was said had no sin in him, was a man who was completely holy, completely pure, was a man who, if anyone ever deserved not to die in life, well, it was him because he had no sin in him. And the penalty for sin is death. And because he had no sin, he should have never died. But he goes to the cross and he does it so that he can offer us a trade. He says to us, I will trade you. I will trade you your broken, your guilt-ridden, your sinful, your dirty your broken life i will trade that i will take it to the cross i will crucify it there and i will pay the penalty for all the wrongs you've ever wronged there in fact what he did at that cross was enough to pay the penalty for all the sin of all mankind think about that for a minute and then realize that what you have to offer to the pile on his shoulders on the cross it's small compared to all the sin that he's been able to to pay for in all of history uh, but he offers to pay for your sin he offers you this trade and he says listen i'll take it to the cross i'll pay for it on the cross and in turn i will give you credit for the pure the holy the sinless the righteous the innocent life i've lived i'll give you credit for it so that when God looks at you, he will see the life I lived and the credit I give you. And when God looks at me on the cross, well, he'll pour out his wrath for the life you lived. I'll make you a trade. <laughs> Man, that trade sounds like we get the best end of the bargain. Sounds like we get the best end of the deal. Uh, that's a trade full of grace. It's a trade full of hope. It's a trade full of promise. And he offers us this trade. And, and I tell you, that trade, it gives us hope of life forever. Because only someone who's innocent and pure and sinless can live forever. And so God looks at you and he sees the credit that Jesus earned. And it's covering you. And he says, you get to live forever. And by the way, as Jesus uh, went to the cross, we, we know he didn't stay there. We know that he rose from the dead. The story will continue to him raising from the dead. A stone being rolled away from three days later. Him all of a sudden walking 
walking around teaching again and preaching again and witnesses and people seeing him and eating with him and and sometimes 500 people would see him and they would glorify God and, and, and we would know that he was resurrected and and death couldn't hold down the author of life. The one who said, I know the way to life forever, showed us the path to life forever. Showed us that he could do it first, so that he could then let us know that he could do it with us too. That after we die, he will resurrect us and we will be with him and live forever. So there's power in Jesus. There's power to do hard things. There's power to hope. There, there's power to be bold and there's power to live forever. But when it comes to this power, we need to learn or we need to know how to respond to that power. We need to know what it takes to receive that power. Remember, remember hearing about the early days in American frontier when there were revivals happening all across the country. Uh, I remember hearing about one man who was a circuit preacher. And, and in the old days, what would happen is a lot of churches couldn't afford preachers. And I kind of wonder if some of this won't uh, come back someday soon. But uh, there were days where, where, where churches couldn't, uh, couldn't afford to hire preachers. They couldn't find preachers, people to preach. And so what would happen is a preacher would jump on a horse or ride on a horse and buggy. And he would go from city to city and town to town. And, and he, would, he would show up and preach and lead people through the Lord's Supper, or maybe he would get a gathering and, and share Christ with people. And, and there was revival happening. And this one circuit preacher, he would come into a town and what he would do was this. Uh, he would find all the kids he could. He would gather them up and he would teach them what we call a five finger exercise. exercise. Uh, he would have them hold up their thumb and, and he would have them memorize a word with it. And he would have them hold up their next finger and they would memorize a word with it. And, and he'd have them memorize these words and it, it, with each each finger on their hand and then he would tell them now remember that and he would send them home they would go home they would tell their parents uh, what they had been taught by this guy and he would tell them tell your parents to come back tonight and I'm going to be preaching and teaching about those five things tell them to come back tonight and they can hear about how they can have hope in the power of Jesus and uh, and how they can receive the power Power of Jesus in their life. And so the kids would, and parents would come, and there'd be a big revival in that community and in that town. And it was a real simple five-figure ex five-finger exercise. In fact, I, I'd like to share with you a kind of a version of it that I shared with the young people in our VBS this week. The first one is this: if you hold up your thumb, uh, I want you to say the word believe. Hold up your thumb and say, believe. And then hold up your next finger and say, repent. And then hold up your next finger and say, confess. And then hold up your next finger and say, be baptized. And then hold up your last, your pinky finger. And I want you to say this, 
the Christian life. Uh, now, 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 here's how I'll explain uh, this whole thing. You know, if we go to Acts chapter 2, we find that in Acts chapter 2, Peter and the apostles are preaching. They're still being bold. You know, they're being bold and sharing Christ. They're being bold and helping people come to believe in Jesus. And they're preaching. And for the very first time, people are going to give their lives to Christ. And, and while they're preaching, they preach about Jesus crucified. They preach about Jesus forgiveness and forgiveness of sins. They, they, they preach about the gospel and how Jesus rose from the dead. And it says in Acts 2, 38 to 39, it says that the people who were listening were cut to the heart. And uh, and what does it mean to have, be cut to the heart? It means that in your heart, you're believing the things that are being said. It, it means that in your heart, you're saying, I'm going to trust in the things that are being said. And, and it says in scripture that if we believe in our hearts, we will be saved. It says in scripture that if we believe in Jesus and trust in Jesus, he will give us eternal life. And so we begin responding to this power of Jesus by believing in it. Uh, belief, it has a couple of important parts. The, the first part is we mentally agree with some things. We decide to make a first-time decision to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that Jesus is God in the flesh who came to save us, that Jesus died on a cross to forgive us our sins, that Jesus rose from the dead. But there's another side to belief. It's not just mentally agreeing with things. It's also deciding I'm going to trust in those things and I'm going to do something in my life with those things. There are some people who think, well, I, I'll just go to a church and I'll decide to, to make a first time decision to believe and then they don't do anything with what they decided to start. That's not what the Bible talks about when it talks about responding to Jesus. Responding to Jesus always is more substantial than that. Well, well, the next one is this, repent. You see, because what happened in Acts 2, the, the people who heard what was being said, uh, they were cut to the heart, and they asked an important question. They asked the question, brothers, what shall we do? What do we do with what we're hearing? What do we do with what, with what we, we believe? We made a first-time decision to believe. Now what? Now what's next? Well, the answer that they gave was this. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That was the words of Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. That was the words of Peter as he was, he was being guided <laughs> to, uh, by this powerful moment by Jesus to share the truth, the scriptural truth of, of how to respond to him. And, and he said, the first thing you do when you make a, a first time decision to believe, the first way we respond to that belief is by repenting. Now, repent, it's a fancy word that simply means to turn around. It means I was walking away from God, now I'm going to walk towards God. It, was, it means I was living in this sin, now I'm going to stop living in this sin, and, and I'm going to live for Jesus. It, it means being bold with ourself. It means starting to have some self-control. It means starting to, to say, Jesus, I'm going to live for you and not myself and not my sin. It, it, repent. Repent was one of the first things that he said to do in response to your decision to believe. 
For some of us, that repentance means that we have to clean up the way we speak. For some of us, that repentance means that we have to, well, <laughs> we have to make a, a decision in our heart to stop living in sexual immorality or, or addicted to pornography or, 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 or addicted to alcoholism or our drugs. <laughs> For some of you, that, that means that, that, that you need to stop being so angry and prideful. For some of you, that means you need to stop being such a gossip. For whatever it is that, that is a, a sin in your life, there's this time that we say, Jesus, I yield and I want to give up that old life and take a hold of the new one that you're offering. And so we repent. And repentance is something that you can start today, but it's a process that will go on for the rest of your life. And by the way, I, I, what I don't want you to hear is this, that, uh, well, you need to go get your life right first, then come to Jesus. That's, that's not what I think he meant. In fact, uh, I, I know he didn't mean that because some of us, uh, some of the things that are going wrong in our life will take a long time to set right. Uh, but the people who were there that day listening to Peter preach, they made a decision that day, followed through with that decision that day, got baptized that day. And, uh, and they had decided in their heart they were going to start the process of repentance. And sometimes just turning to Jesus is the first step in repentance. And the next one is this, we, we confess. And so we hold up our thumb and, and our thumb is belief and our, and our next finger, we hold that out and, and that's repentance. And we hold out the next finger and that's we confess. We confess Christ. We confess our faith in Christ. Maybe we confess it to someone that's a friend. Maybe we confess it to a, a pastor. Maybe we confess it to a family member, but we share our belief in Christ. It says in scripture that if we confess he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and so there's a sense to where we confess to him that that uh, we need his forgiveness but there's also a sense that if we confess that Jesus is Lord to other people that we'll be saved if we tell other people uh, that Jesus name should be famous that Jesus is the Savior that Jesus gives us power to live forever if we confess that to others we will be saved and, and some of you are here and, and you have that next step. You, you maybe have decided you want to make a first time decision to believe. By the way, I want to know about it. Make sure you hit that link below. No matter what platform you're watching or listening on, there's a link below uh, to a connection card and you can hit that link and let me know that today you're making a first time decision to believe in Jesus. And maybe that's your way of confessing it too. For the first time, you're going to tell somebody you believe in Jesus, hit that link below. Say, I'm making a first time decision today to believe in Jesus. You, you need to confess your faith in him. Now, visibly on that uh, story in Acts chapter two, uh, the uh, apostle Peter told those people, I want you to repent and be baptized. And part of what happens when we're baptized is it's a public, uh, a physical confession to others that we have faith. Now that's not 
all that happens when we're baptized. There's all kinds of stuff that goes on that's pretty cool, that's pretty awesome. When we when we talk about baptism, baptism is one of those, uh, oh, it's a hard subject, and some people, they shy away from it. They're afraid of it. They don't want to know about it. They don't want to study it. They just want to keep it simple. And, and you know what? That's okay. You don't need to know everything about baptism, uh, but it's a really interesting study in Scripture. I find it fascinating. And what you will find is that part of what's happening there is it is partly a physical confession. Now, there's more to it than that, but there is that physical confession because everyone sees you do it uh, or, or someone sees you do it. There are people there who, who see and hear as you confess your faith in Christ and you're baptized and, and you're telling people, I believe, you know, that day there were over 300 uh, or sorry, 3,000 people who were baptized that day, who responded to Jesus that day. And what an awesome, what an awesome thing uh, that must have been as the Peter and the apostles were able to baptize 3,000 people who confessed their faith in Jesus. And that leads us to the very last one or the very next one, uh, our, our fourth finger. Before we get to the pinky finger, the fourth finger there, and that one is, uh, is to be baptized. So we we believe our thumbs up and we believe our our, our next fingers out and and we we repent and then the next finger is we confess and the next finger is we get baptized. Now baptism, like I said, it's kind of a, a it can be a complicated subject and this isn't a sermon all about baptism today. Uh, but let me share with you a few thoughts. The first one is this: the Greek word that we get our word baptized from that's translated baptized in your Bibles. Uh, that word was a common word. It simply meant to be immersed or dunked. There are Greek words that talk about being sprinkled, that talk about using uh, uh, pouring water. There are Greek words that talk about using water in any way, shape, or form. And then there's a word that means to be immersed or dunked in water. Uh, back east, we have Dunkin' Donuts. And uh, and everybody loves Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> and, uh, and I had a Dunkin' Donuts not far away from my house where I grew up. I used to love going over there, getting donuts, you know, and, and, uh, and, and, and you could have called that baptized donuts because that's what the word means to really just dunk something in water. And what baptism is all about, probably the, if I hit the big highlights, it's all about making a, uh, making a, a physical picture of spiritually what happens in our lives when we have faith in Christ. Uh, it's a physical picture of us giving up and yielding our life to Jesus. It's a physical picture of a burial. It's like somebody takes us down and dunks us in the water. It's like a watery grave. You know, our eyes are closed. We're not breathing. We're not hearing. We're buried in the water. And then it's a physical picture of a resurrection as someone comes up out of the water. It's a picture of new birth, uh, you know, and and some people they like to uh, they, they like to struggle with you know where does spiritual life begin and it, it's sort of the same kind of debate or struggle that people have with uh, with where does life begin is it at conception or is it at birth and and I like to think of all of these things that we're talking about here as if they're all a part of the, the of the spiritual
renewal birthing process, right? Uh, when we first have faith, that's like conception, you know, and, and, and then we begin repenting and then we confess. And then when we're baptized, that's sort of like a, a spiritual birth. And, and I'm not interested in when does uh, every, well, all of it begin because it's all part of the, the same process, the same thing. It's all a part of us saying, Jesus, I want your power to be at work in my life. And, and so uh, when we're baptized, it's a picture of a death, a burial, and a resurrection. And Jesus says, if you join, or, or it says in Scripture, the Apostle Paul will teach that if you join with Jesus in his death like this, you will be raised like he was too. Wow. And so we believe and we repent and we confess and we're baptized. And the last one is this, that we live the Christian life. Whew. We're going to get through all this. We live the Christian life. Some people, they, they like to go ahead and go through all the motions of the first parts and say, well, now that I did all that, I, I did all the religious stuff. I'm going to go ahead and live life however I want and I'll be okay. God's not going to hold me accountable for anything anymore. And hey, it's time to just go ahead and be like the young people who, who sometimes will come around and think they could do whatever they want, scream whenever they want, run whenever they want, and they don't have to listen to anybody. And, uh, and some adults do the same thing with Jesus, but that was never meant to be the way that God meant for Jesus to be at work in our lives. Jesus' power was meant to be at work in our lives for the rest of our lives. This is a lifetime race, the Apostle Paul would call it. It's a lifetime battle or struggle, the Apostle Paul will call it. It's a lifetime race that we run so as to win. It's a, it's a fight that we fight called the good fight, and we fight it to the very end. It's a process that begins where we take a hold of spiritual life, and it's a process that, that ends when Jesus perfects us after the end of our life. And in the meantime, we seek to live the Christian life. And the Christian life, it looks like going to church and being a part of a fellowship of believers that is encouraging one another, challenging one another, getting into God's word together. The Christian life looks like spending time in God's word myself and spending time in prayer myself. The Christian life looks like uh, going ahead and serving Jesus and honoring him and doing ministry in his name. The Christian life looks like, uh, looks like sacrifice, looks like uh, giving. Uh, the Christian life, uh, well, it looks like somebody who's being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And taking a hold of the power of Jesus means living the Christian life. And that's, that's what it takes to experience the power Jesus wants us to experience. It takes believing and starting out by making a first-time decision. It takes repenting of our sin and giving it to Jesus. It takes confessing our faith in Christ. It, it, it takes being baptized, calling on his name, like Ananias said. And it takes, it takes living the Christian life. And I don't know where you're at 
on that process, what your next step is. Maybe you believe, maybe you have, and you need to, to make a first time decision to believe. Maybe you need to repent and, and start repenting. Maybe you need to confess. Maybe you need to get baptized. And I want to encourage you, if that's something you want to do, there is a link below where you can click on that, click on that connection card and let us know there's a spot to mark down. I want to get baptized. And I want to encourage you, whether you're in Vernonia or you're not in Vernonia, I would encourage you to take that next step of baptism. And uh, if you're not in Vernonia, we could figure out a way to help you make that happen. Uh, but what you need to take that next step, and maybe your next step is to remember that Jesus is Lord. There's also a spot to mark down that you're going to decide uh, or remember to decide to make Jesus Lord today because you want to live the Christian life. Uh, I want to encourage you, take your next step in faith. Go deeper in faith. Experience the power of Jesus, that power that helps us do hard things, that power that gives us hope, that power that helps us be bold, and that power that, that promises us life forever. Uh, I'd like to encourage you to take a hold of that power today. Let's pray together. And especially if you have never made that first time decision to believe and to take a hold of that power, I would invite you to pray with me and let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the power of Jesus. We thank you that you give us hope and life. And God, we also come to you and, and we thank you for the crucifixion and the cross and, and, and your willingness to go to the cross for us. We thank you that you offer us grace and life forever. God, we have sin that we need to give to you and let you nail to the cross. We ask you, Father, to forgive us. We ask you, Jesus, to give us your grace. We say yes to your offer, to your trade. We say yes to the gospel of Christ. We say yes to you. And Jesus, we want to make a decision to believe in you and follow you. And I pray that you will help us as we do that. And Jesus, there's some who are here that need to repent. And I pray that you will give us strength and repentance. You will give wisdom and repentance. And you will give help and repentance. And I pray, Father, uh, that you will help us to confess our faith in you. And I pray that you will help us to, those who need to get baptized, to be baptized and to, uh, to declare faith in you. And, and I pray that you will help all of us to remember that you are our Lord and that you will help us to walk with you and to live the Christian life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said together, amen. Well, once again, I want to say thank you for joining me for uh, our online teaching time today. Uh, I want to thank you for being a part of our online uh, uh, online. Uh, community here at Vernonia Church. And I want to say thank you for being a part of what we did this last week. Some of you were praying, many of you were uh, giving, and, and many of you were a part of what happened here. And I just want to say thank you for being a part. Uh, I'm so proud of Vernonia Church. I'm, I'm so proud that we have been this church where we've been able to make Jesus' name famous in our community. And we will continue to do that. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to pray with me for the ministry of Vernonia Church, that we would continue to do what God wants us to do and to make Jesus' name famous. And so, uh, but, and I want to say thank you to those of you who have been 
giving and who have been a part financially a partner in this ministry and you can always join us if you'd like to you can you can join us and uh, and be a part of this ministry and support this ministry there's a link below you can hit that will bring you to our website www.vernonia.church can get you there too and there's a give tab there you can set up giving in any way shape or form you can do a one-time gift you can do a regular gift some people even do like uh, like a dollar a message every week you know and they set that up and and you can give in any way that you want to give and I just want to say thank you to those of you who are doing that and I'd like to invite you to pray with me for this ministry let's pray together father in heaven we pray for Vernonia Church we pray that you will help us to continue to lead people to faith in you to plant seeds of hope and and plant seeds of the power of Jesus in this community God I want to pray for the community of Vernonia that you will help this become a community that will eventually be famous for being a place where the church makes a difference that this will be a place where people follow you and worship you and love you Jesus I pray that you will help us to share the love of Christ with our community. And I pray that you will help us to lead people to make decisions, first-time decisions of faith and, and repentance and confession and baptism. I pray, God, that you will help us to continue to do the work you have given us to do. And Jesus, we pray that uh, you will bless this church, that you will work through this church, that you will be honored and famous because of this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said together, amen. Well, it's been a great day. And next week, I'm going to dive back into our series. We'll finish it up with the last message. I just felt like today was not the day to go into that message. Uh, and this week was not the week to do that because of the VBS. I just felt like we should do something to sort of wrap up the, the message and, and wrap up the experience of Vacation Bible School together. So, uh, so, so be sure to come back next week and we'll finish up confronting the fool and me with the last message where we're going to talk about, uh, well, we're going to talk about the last fool. And, but today, uh, I want to encourage you. I'm going to finish up by declaring it's been a great day. One, two, three, it's been a great day. I hope you have a great day and I'll see you next Sunday.